Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number 77. In this episode, I'm going to talk about discipleship question number four. And so we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, at the end of Books and Business. But before we do that, we have some Thinklings business to attend to. Books and Business. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're all out of sorts this week. So um, I'm going to go first. And uh, something I've been working on, I think I mentioned last week and two weeks ago, had a string of papers that I'm writing for a doctoral class. And the first one was about the Septuagint. And uh, I'm now fully uh, Augustinian in my Septuagint views. I think we should only use the Septuagint for everything. Um, Shut up. I just <laughs> muted my mic and then I had to unmute it to tell you what are you talking about. I'm kidding. It's actually a really <laughs> horrible position. It misunderstands the history and transmission of the Septuagint to think that it's like a manuscript that could be on par with the inspired text. So anyway, uh, the second paper that I hot off the press, I finished it uh, just a few hours ago. Uh, it is called A Christian Perspective on Censorship in Public Education. And so the idea of censorship is that you would eliminate or suppress or destroy works of speech uh, that you disagree with or don't think should exist. And this has pretty much happened in every culture, on every continent, all throughout history. Uh, all, every people group, governments, either religiously or politically, have censored their people. And one of the big ideas in America, right in the First Amendment, is that we have a freedom of religion and we have a freedom of speech and of the press. Like that was right at the beginning thoughts of, uh, of our founding fathers, probably because of where they came from. But um, so uh, we unpack that in this paper and uh, I'm just trying to give a couple of nuggets. Um, I thought what's really interesting, and this is kind of my, how I would justify where freedom of speech comes from is that especially Baptists have a rich history understanding uh, the freedom of religion that religion has to be voluntary. Like if you try to force your theology or your belief system on someone, a forced belief is not a belief because it's not a willing exactly. mind. Mm -hmm. that, that's, a, that's a phrase from Tertullian is, is a willing mind. Um, and so if you force it, you don't have that. So you, you can't coerce religion. And so then you take that idea in principle and think of what censors or people trying to employ censorship are trying to do. Let's remove the ideas we disagree with. Force upon the people, or in this case, the classroom, the ideas that we really want them to get. So remove the bad, only give them the good. They're forced to know and think the way I want them to, right? Because they don't have any exposure to anything else. And uh, while I also make a case in the paper that education needs selection, like you have to carefully select materials, in principle, that idea of forcing ideology on people misunderstands freedom. And so I, I think there's a, a direct parallel between the religious freedom and a freedom of speech. And that's why we should believe in it. Um, but then that gets to the second part of the, the essay or the papers, 
So then how do you educate people? Like you can't just let them have everything. You know, you don't want to just, you know, give unfiltered internet access to a bunch of students and think that they're going to find good things, right? And so how, what do you do? And I think there are some lines to draw. Um, like, for example, if someone is blatantly lying, like, hey, I'm a doctor, COVID is this, or it's not this, and they're blatantly lying for political gain, that would be wrong. And I think a government should have some way to deal with that. Uh, something that's erotic or pornographic in nature that up until very recently, American culture has been decidedly against. Uh, I think we would all say, no, you don't want people walking into the public library uh, using their free access internet to view pornography that has no educational purpose. And so I think those would be some clear lines. Um, really, the issue comes down to who gets to decide what books are in the schools? And unfortunately, precedent's been set in America that the school board gets to do that in public education. And so sort of the implications that I drew at the end of this is that as a Christian or Christian parent, you should be very concerned about your local elections. And specifically, like if you had the capacity to get on your school board, this would be a reason why you would want to do it. Because for the most part, historically, school boards get to set curriculum or make decisions about those things. And uh, another implication would be uh, maybe like being a Christian librarian is actually a really unique calling that you would bring an ethical uh, virtue to your job that would do it better than someone who's not a Christian. So maybe being uh, uh, in local politics or being a librarian uh, but then at the end of the day, uh, as a parent, if you're going to send your kids to public school, you have to recognize that you will never be the legal censor of the material. And so practically, what does that look like? You just, you need to read Deuteronomy 6 and take discipleship of your children seriously so that whether or not the school board listens to you about whether Harry Potter should be in the library, when the student comes home you should be censoring those ideas in your own discipleship of your children. That's kind of the whole point of the paper. But it's been a lot of fun to, uh, to study that out. And uh, yeah, it's interesting that guys from almost 2,000 years ago had some pretty profound thoughts on these things. So that's my books and business. So, uh, so I'll, I'll comment on yours first, and then I'll talk about mine. I think it's interesting. A week ago, we had special elections in the city. We're in Ankeny for a new mayor. The previous mayor, I think he took a seat at the state Senate. Is that correct? I, I can't remember. I'm not 100% sure. I think he took um, a local legislative seat, if I'm remembering correctly. But they needed to re like vote in a new mayor to fill out or finish out his term. And so we put it on our calendar. We went wanted to go vote. And the vote, the guy that we wanted who was conservative, won by 21 votes. You think about that in the city of Ankeny, if, you know, two dozen people had decided not to vote, it would have, it would have changed the election. So just on the top of, on the back of what you said, having people in positions of influence in our culture who are closer to us is I think a good thing, especially in like light of first Timothy two, two, uh, that we can live a peaceable, peaceful life. So, all right. So I've been saying, I was going to talk about a podcast this week. I thought I would get the podcast done because I only had two more episodes and what's a podcast episode. What an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. 
depends on whose podcast. Well, that's the thing. This podcast, the first 10 episodes have been about that. And so I thought, oh, I got two episodes left. Started the second to last episode, two and a half hours. Looked at the final episode, two and a half hours. Public service announcement to the Thinklings podcast listeners, we're never going to do that to you. Yeah, we we might once in a while do a Thanksgivinglings. We're episode. never gonna have an episode go that. <laughs> but two and a half long. is too long. I will say though, I've been never. I've been very happy with the podcast, so I'll talk about it next week. So instead, uh, I didn't do much reading this week. I did start a new book called uh, "Philosophy of Religion: A Very Short Introduction" by Tim Bain. There's a bunch of uh, a series of books called "Very Short Introduction Books." There's one on psychology uh, that I had to read back in the day for a class. Uh, Tim, you referenced Scruton's uh, introduction on beauty last week. Um, philosophy religion is related to apologetics and theology so i think i got this one as an ebook sorry tim for super cheap and i just started it the only thing that's interesting from the beginning is if you want to know what philosophy of religion is it's essentially asking the question does god exist and then all the implicative questions that follow however philosophy religion is a philosophical discipline first so you could have Islamic philosophy, religion discussions. You could have secular, you could have deist, you could have Christian. So the guy writing this says, what's interesting is sometimes the way you sort out where your position is coming from is, are you asking the question from within your theological position? Or are you asking it from like the outside of your theological position? It, I think it's a secular posi- work. So I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be maybe a good thing for me to know about. I'm not sure I'm going to be recommending it, but so far it looks interesting and it's short. That reminded me of the abolition of man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Lewis, that's not what you're talking about though. No. Yeah. Cause he talks about people who want to get rid of objective values and say, mm-hmm. well, you kind of have to be on the inside. That's an abolition of man. I think, right? uh, I think it is. Or there's an essay. There's it's an essay. Uh, it's definitely uh, something Lewis. The, the, um, what's the essay? It's not abolition of man. The problem of subjectivity, the poison of subjectivity. Is that the essay? It's know. a Lewis thing though. It's a Lewis thing. Yeah. Yep. But it's okay. interesting. Well, it's just interesting because <laughs> I was really confident it was abolition of man until I said it out loud. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that happens to me quite often. So this is what your brain feels like after you've done a, a lot of reading and writing. <laughs> so anyways, I, that's all I got for you, listener. Tim, what do you got? Uh, I've been reading some books with my or to my children. And the recent series has been The Green Ember, Tales of Old Natalia. The Green Ember series is a series of four books. Those are the main main series. Then there are some spin-offs that are shorter novels. The Tales of Old Natalia uh, is a three-book series uh, of a shorter series. The the second one is the well, the first one's the Black Star of Kingston. The second one's the Wreck and Rise of Whitson Mariner, and then the third one just released, Prince Lander and the Dragon War. Uh, with the release of that third one, I decided, hey, this will be a nice quick series that I can read to my children. Uh, and we finished book two yesterday. They're a fun, a fun series. They, they emphasize uh, selflessness and self-sacrifice for the service of others. The entire Green Ember series really emphasizes this point, this idea of the uh, laying down one's life for the community so that another person can live is a strong emphasis uh, throughout the Green Ember, the Green Ember series, and that appears in these first two books as well. The the, the author will use a couple of different characters that uh, serve as foils: one that betrays or runs away in the face of what seems like certain destruction, 
and uh, even betrayal, where character might uh, turn their back on the uh, the authority that is in charge of the community. So um, the Green Ember series is a series of about rabbits, which which seems a little bit anticlimactic because rabbits are fragile and annoying little beasts of this world. Uh, I don't I do not like rabbits because they get in my garden and that creates problems. But uh, the Green Ember series is they're rabbits and they have swords and bows and they fight battles against the birds or the wolves or uh, the lizards or whatever else. And it's an engaging story. The kids have really enjoyed it. If you're looking for something to read to your uh, maybe seven to seven year old and up, uh, these would be a fun little series to work through. Could you say a phrase for me, Tim? Maybe. Could you say "waskly wabbit"? <laughs> I'm not going to amuse you. <laughs> He's not going to do it. I li- I really like the Green Ember series. For you were you're pointing out the different foils of the different characters. I really like the way SD Smith brought virtue in, and you he he's telling a story, but in the story. It, you can see that it's shaping you to see like, look at how that reaction was selfish and look at how that one wasn't. But he's not saying like, Hey, look, he's not pointing it out, but he writes in such a way that you, you really notice it. I really mm-hmm. like those books. I can't say enough good I, things about I them. purchased the first one and I have not yet got back to it. So it's mm-hmm. sitting on the shelf. I haven't started it, but I have it because I know it's good, but someday if you've liked the Wingfeather saga and you've read it, then I think you'll enjoy the the Green Ember series, and I would recommend them. All right, let me give a little preview of uh, the content of the episode. So I've been working through a series, 12 Discipleship Questions, or 12 Questions Every Disciple Should Ask. I can't remember officially what we said it was. But um, yeah, so we're... This episode is question number four, which is, let me actually pull it up because I don't remember. <laughs> like I said, this is what happens when you have a, a whole bunch of reading and writing. Your brain just kind of goes to mush. So the first three questions, question one, what is God's will? God's will is to internally transform you. Question two, how does God accomplish his will? And the answer, God provides training in the form of tests and trials. Question three, how do my trials cultivate transformation? Trials increase the awareness of my loves. So it shows me what's going on on the inside. So then question four, we get, I think, pretty practical. So if God is using trials to do the training, what forms of training is God using? So where might I look in my life to find the specific trials he's going to use. And we give you three categories and we talk through them. And uh, hopefully it'll be a a blessing and a help to you as you try to identify where God's at work in your life. So enjoy this episode and we'll see you next week. Let's have a conversation about discipleship part four, right? Yeah, part four. Not parkour, part four enunciation is important. Mm. So we're walking through this series, 12 discipleship questions or 12 questions every disciple should ask, you know, the working titles. Uh, So a little bit of a review. Question one, 
what is God's will? And we answered that by saying God's will is to internally transform you, that he wants to see you, your inner man, your heart, your desires, your motives, your affections be transformed into proper affections and loves and desires. And that is a, a process of sanctification that's happening in your life. So then following that, question two, how does God accomplish his will of internal transformation? And we answered that by saying God provides training, quote unquote, air quotes, training in the form of tests and trials. And we went to, I think, Deuteronomy 8 and talked about God in the wilderness revealing what's at work in their hearts and that similar idea being present in the book of James. And if not, we'll uh, repeat some of those things today. So from there, God provides training to facilitate internal transformation. Question three, how do my trials cultivate transformations? Like what is so special about a trial? And we looked at that in the last episode about this. Trials increase awareness of our loves and motives and desires. It's the, when the pressure is put on that what's on the inside, the internal man that he's seeking to transform, those things rise to the surface or are more easily discerned in moments of pressure. So that's why in God's sovereignty, he allows the pressure, the suffering, the trial. And in those moments, I should be looking to be aware of what's going on within me. So that gets us to question four. What forms of training is God using in my life? What forms of training is God using in my life? And so to start answering this question, I am going to kick it across the table here. Tim and Andy, Okay. I have three things, three broad categories that I think is helpful in categorizing, maybe helping to identify some of the training God's using in people's lives. I'm going to see if you guys can come up with my, Ooh, my categories. Oh, we're going fishing. Yeah. Just, I like it. That was me casting across okay. the click, 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 click. Okay. Click, click. I'll bite. Okay. What do you think? So if I'm thinking through all the things that cause me to go through a trial that bring out uh, loves in my heart, there's got to be something that's uh, situational, like an event, an activity. I don't know what word you would put on it. There's got to be something that's like, activities or you got situations. You, you nailed it. And this is where um, a passage that we could come to to talk about this, if I can find it on my page here. I'm working from, uh, you know, I took a, took a tip from Tim Challies and I'm now writing in um, Ulysses. Ooh. And uh, I just haven't quite grasped the, the vision of where things are on the page. There we go. Uh, so first Peter, first Peter, he mentions ver falling into various trials, you know, like there's like, like this diverse things, you know. Um, and then James, he says almost the exact same thing. Like, count it all joy, my brethren, James 1, when you fall into various, like diverse opportunities of trials. It's like this idea that these things happen in multiple random forms. It's just difficult circumstances. And that's, that's the idea is the, the official term is adverse circumstances. So when you have an adverse, an adverse, you should hear the correspondence to adversary, like an adversarial circumstance, like something is happening that is attacking what you would want to happen. Like, I do not want my car to break down. 
my car broke down. That is an adverse circumstance. Mm. Okay. Okay. And so that that is actually that's number two for me. Oh, um, so, but to use that as a as a springboard, what do some adverse circumstances normally have? There's some ingredients, usually in adverse circumstances. Do you want to take a crack at it, Tim, or do you want me to go for two? Um, why don't you go for two? Well, I mean, <laughs> the, categories of trials uh, for <laughs> two hundred, Tim. <laughs> The trials that I've created because of my own sin or the trials that, that have happened as a result is, of this world or... Okay, so, so what you said, like the result of my own sin, like uh, that kind of gets into number three. All right. But there's something like, what is like, when people have problems, who do they... I already... I it's, it's people. It's, it's people. people. I was, just, I was I gonna let who, Tim see if he could get it. Yeah, so number one the, the is people. difficult people. Okay. Difficult people. And then the third one is is kind of more of a moving target, and I'm going to say and temptation. But we instantly should have like a theological red flag maybe go up there and say, well, wait a minute. If God is using temptation to transform me, isn't God wrong to do that? Hold on to that thought because we're going to actually go back to that. James specifically addresses it, and it actually correlates to what, Tim already mentioned, like my own sin. So, but let's let's just walk through these. So the whole point of this, so we're kind of narrowing down the scope. Okay. So what's God's will? Internal transformation. Okay. Well, how does he do that? Training through tests and trials. Okay. Why does he use trials? Because that pressure reveals what's going on inside of you. Okay. So if trials are the way the method God is going to use to show me my loves, what trials should I be expecting? And you should expect these three things. Every day of your life, you should be aware of how you are responding to these three things. Difficult people, adverse circumstances, and temptation. And I think everything can fall under that blanket. Uh, And you brought up a good category like the world, just being in a sin-cursed world. But typically, the expression of the the wicked world will be expressed through sinful people, sinful circumstances, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. being tempted. So I think it covers the bases there. So now let's walk through each of these. So first, uh, let's go back to that passage we've already mentioned, James 4. And there's this idea right in verse 1 of wars and fights. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? That implies that there's multiple people disagreeing. Would you would you agree with that statement? Like, yeah. you don't have a war or a fight without someone to war or fight with. You gotta have mm-hmm. an enemy and a, or an opponent. Yeah, and so notice, we've already looked at this with in the previous uh, episodes or chapters, if, if you're reading the actual book, and some people have these chapters available to them, so I might just throw it out there. Um, so it says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Typically, wars and fights involve multiple people, and so if you're like me, uh, there's hundreds of people you get upset with, right? Like almost every day of your life, there's difficult people. <laughs> no comments. We're not making any jokes, people. Just yeah. No yeah. comments. Anyway, so what is it about a difficult person that causes a trial? Why do we even classify them in this sense as a difficult person? What's difficult about them? 
Is it okay for me to refer to another resource that helped me to understand yeah. this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our church went through the Peacemaker uh, by Sandy a couple of years ago. And one of the, the most helpful things to think about was the reason there's interpersonal problems most of the time, I'll say, is that the other person is preventing me from obtaining some goal is the language he used. And I think he does that because it's purposely a little neutral, but he's bringing it right back to this idea that someone's impeding me between like what I want to get and he, they're stopping me. Yeah. I can't remember if it's in the written form or if it was in the actual chapter three, question three episode. Did we talk about the pyramid of like the books, that illustration? Ooh, I don't know if we did. No, I think maybe you mentioned it, so but that's a, a common way that I like to illustrate this. Like the difference between the external and the internal is grab five different sized books and stack them like a pyramid or a triangle. And the top two are what you do and say, which are both external actions. Like once I've done it, you've seen me do it. You could see me do it. Once I said it, you heard me do it. But then underneath of that layer three is your thoughts Layer four is your emotions, your attitudes. And then all the way at the bottom is this desires. You know, like there's something motivating you to feel that way, think that way, and do and say those things. And the idea here is that that difficult person comes in and you do something to them. You say something to them. Well, where did those thoughts or, excuse me, words and actions come from? And typically before someone says something, they've thought about saying it. Well, why were you thinking about saying that? And behind the thinking of, you ever plan an argument with a person out in your mind? Never. Yeah, I've never done <laughs> Except that. like every day. Like you want to make sure your argument is like so airtight, it's going to like mm-hmm. blast a hole right in the ship and sink them. You know, like it's going to perfect, perfect aim, perfect argument. And you're doing this all internally. And that difficult person is like kind of stimulating that. And behind that thinking is like you are angry or upset or bitter or jealous, like an attitude. And all of that, going back to Andy's point, is that person is a difficult person to you because they're restricting the thing that you wanted. And so common things we want from people. We like other people to respect us. We like other people to love us. We like other people to serve us. And if the people in your life always met your expectations of them, you'd probably have less conflict. If the people in your life always gave you what you wanted, you'd probably not fight with them as much as you do. And, and there's the caveat there is that you'd still have conflict because, you know, when you have a sinful desire or expectation, you'll never be satisfied anyway. So people could serve you really well and you could still be upset with them. But, you know, just hold that intention for a moment. Yeah, so people will routinely fall short of your expectations. And because of that, with our sinful existence, when they fail to meet our expectations, or another way of saying that, they restrict my goal, my desire, we fight in war. This is exactly what James 4 says. Mm. You desire, you don't get what you wanted. You murder. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like That's like a zero to 60. Like, oh, what I think isn't important. You know, what, what I, my motives, my desires aren't important. And I just have to obey. Well, you want it. You don't get it. You actually don't obey. You kill. And that's one of the big 10, right? Mm-hmm. So like, it's interesting to me that James goes to murder <laughs> and that instantly, like you think about the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus talked about murder too. It's like, it's not just the act of the murder. 
anger within you it's the same thing you know it's it's just as sinful and uh, so difficult people are difficult because they don't allow me to get the thing and then with that person why am i fighting and worrying well they kept me from getting the thing so ah, i'm just like doing a stabbing motion like i'm metaphorically killing andy across the table oh man it hurt so there's actually another phrase there in james 4 he brings up another one of the 10 which is another expression of desire. He brings up coveting, which is slightly different than desiring. Desiring is wanting something. Coveting is wanting something that is not yours that somebody else has. And so to covet something, it's like, oh, Andy has that. I really want it. But then what does James 4 say? You covet, you cannot obtain. And I think it's kind of implied, like you're trying to get something from another person. You're coveting someone else's thing and you can't get it from them. What do you do? You fight and war. Uses the same expression from the opening question. So why are difficult people difficult? I wanted to get something from them and I didn't get what I wanted. Ah, killed them. Okay. Uh, so that, that's category number one. And so a practical step, you're trying to zero in on where God is at work in your life. Where are the difficult people? Those moments of trial with difficult people are the moments God is attempting to change you. And we're going to get into the proper response of faith and walking in the Spirit, but we're identifying, like, where is God at work? He is at work when you have difficult people. The second category is adverse circumstances, and we already kind of established that in James 1 and in 1 Peter. Jesus says much about suffering in this present world, like, you're going to have things happen to you that are just difficult for you. But again, I can answer, I can ask the same question. Why is the circumstance difficult or adverse? It keeps me from getting what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So think about the car breaking down idea that we already brought up. Why would that be so problematic for me? Well, think of all the other trials that that includes. Oh, I have to pay money and fix my car. Oh, man, but I'm a lover of money. I don't want to do that. And like as a status, like pride symbol thing of like, oh, my car isn't working. What are people going to think about me? Or maybe it's like, well, I really wanted to be at work on time today to impress my boss. And oh, my car is broken down. And now I have to get help from someone else just to get to work. Like, oh, man, that's like a like a weak, humble thing. I don't want to be weak and humble. I want to be prideful and a good worker, right? You know, or just as simple as when my car's broken down, so I can't go get coffee. I wanted coffee. I'm tired and now I can't have it. It's like so many things looming within my heart that that adverse circumstance just, and this is another motion, like, like the big guillotine, like whops off the desire. Like you do not get that. An adverse circumstance instantly disconnects you from what you wanted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> instantly. And what happens in those moments because of our sinful existence is our flesh will attempt to just take over in those moments. Uh, and then the third one is a temptation to sin. And I, I mentioned earlier there's like kind of a theological issue, and James 1 addresses this. Well, is God tempting me to sin? No, God is not tempted by darkness. He's not swayed by darkness. But he does allow temptation. And the way that James frames it is 
instead of blaming God for your temptations as if God was unjust, you should look at yourself and ask, why do I want that in the first place? It's like you're being drawn by your own desires. The fact that we live in a sinful world with sinful temptation isn't to God's fault. He is holy and faithful. It's to our fault, <laughs> both uh, you know, in Adam as sinners, but then also existing with the sinful nature, we do want to, to, to choose wrong. And so uh, an avenue where you will identify God being at work in your life is your resistance to temptation. Like, and, and what is temptation? It's like, for me, a great illustration here is like, you're working out, trying to eat well, and then, oh no, there's donuts in the break room. Oh no, let's not talk about donuts, please. And I am a sucker. I'm a sucker for like the like fruit glazed ones. It's like it's like a strawberry glaze, like a lemon glaze. Ooh. I love those things. And it, how hard is it to resist that? But now, what is the temptation? It is an appeal to a desire. Yep. And to not act upon the desire to resist temptation is keeping you from something that you do want. And so a, a moment of temptation is an exercise in desire. So what's common of all three of those categories? It's moments, and think back to question three, the pressure of the trial is revealing what's on the inside. Why is it revealing what's on the inside? The ways I get upset reveal what I want. And they reveal inordinate desire, they reveal idolatry, they reveal immorality. And it's in those moments of pressure that I can see that with clarity. If I'm willing to cry out and ask for help, the Spirit and the Word help us do this. Good, healthy accountability helps us do this too. But those trials are indicators of desire. And so that's kind of the big idea. So the practical step, as we're kind of building these questions together, Okay, God is trying to change me internally. He's doing this through trials. Where is God giving me trials? More specifically, do I have difficult people in my life? And if you're honest, the answer is yes. And have I had any difficult circumstances this last week? And if you're honest, you're probably like, yeah, multiple. <laughs> and usually number one and number two like mold together. And sometimes number one, number two, and number three all come together. And it's like, that person is causing a, an odd temptation or like I'm tempted to, to act wrongly because of how this person is restricting me or you know, how they're affecting this circumstance. Uh, but all three of those are moments where I have to test my desire. And so identifying them helps you see where God is seeking to change your desires. It's like you don't really know what to change unless you see where God is trying to do the changing. It's like, you know, you're trying to dig a hole to find a treasure, but you don't have a map. And like, well, where do you start digging? Well, where is God at work in my life? Well, I think maybe over here. I don't know. Maybe over there. I don't know. Dig a hole over there. Dig a hole over there. It's like, you don't have to do that. God is specifically telling you, this is where I'm at work. And he's doing that in moments of trial where he's revealing your desires. Hmm. So, uh, what do you guys think about that? You know, I talked a little longer than I wanted to, but anyway, what do you guys think about that? Oh, I think you nailed it. I think it was really, really good. 
the three ways in which God is using trials in my life, the life situations and uh, difficult people, and then my temptations and the things that I want. So that's really great content and something for us each to be thinking about as we seek to be sanctified and walk in wisdom. This is how wisdom speaks to us Mm. by revealing these uh, sinful desires in our hearts. It's good stuff. I thought it was helpful that you're pointing out that trials, in in James chapter 1, it says there are various, it's like the word, word for polka dot, is like where the Greek word sounds like that. And the idea is it's like any sort of thing. So it's it's interesting that for for what what is a trial to one person may not be a trial to another. So you're talking about the car breaking down. For me, that would be a trial because I need to get to work or I need to go do this. But let's say you have something you don't want to do that day and you're looking for any excuse to get out of it. And then you go out to your car and it does it breaks down. You'd actually be happy about that. And so that just like further proves what you're saying. Mm. The trial itself is not the issue. It's what the trial is pointing out about your desires. And you even see that when something, like one day I'm really mad that my car doesn't start. Another day I'd be maybe happy about it because I don't want to, I don't know. I didn't want to go to work. Yeah, I didn't want to go to work, didn't want to go to a meeting. So, and so like, it is interesting how it's you see you do see something about yourself by the way yeah. you respond. It's very helpful. And think about like COVID. Like I've heard more than one person like lovingly joke about oh man, I wish I could get COVID now and now I don't have to go to work for two Mm -hmm. weeks. And it's like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Is work that big of an issue? Like, and, but yeah, it's, it's a, but then Mm -hmm. for someone else, COVID is a trial, not because of, oh, I didn't go to work, but it's like, I'm sick and I don't like being Mm -hmm. sick or, you know, like life is threatened or whatever. Um, Not to treat that flippantly, but it could, multiple ways, Mm -hmm. even that one thing could be, and I, I was struggling to find the wording of First uh, of Peter, so I looked it up. Uh, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, in this, he's speaking of the imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance in heaven, a great hope of glory. That's a great way to end a discussion of how sinful we are in our desires, is that there's hope in Christ, both for our changing now and for permanent change in heaven. But in that, we great, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, the, the po- polka dot, for mm-hmm. word again, mm-hmm. poikalas, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, mm. though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So like, why is God, if it's necessary, nice little phrase that Peter throws in, why is God doing it? The genuineness of your faith that is accomplished through the trial your genuine character that is Christ-like is more precious than gold. Like what, talk about a value system. Wow. Anyway. I think that there's hope in what you're saying for the person who day in and day out is struggling with trials Mm -hmm. and day in and day out thinks something's wrong. Does God see what I'm going through? Does he even know? But this is actually helping him to see or her to see that this is actually God working. It doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't any of that. But but this is actually, I think this brings hope. Yeah. And you actually mentioned something in a previous episode. We were talking about Jerry Bridges and talked about like this language of like a victory over sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is the victory like, oh, I don't sin anymore. Like, oh, I struggled with pornography and I don't struggle mm-hmm. with pornography anymore. 
like I think that's appropriate to think that way in the sense of like, yeah, you'd never want to willingly sin. Mm-hmm. But if you are struggling with lust, understand that God's like desire for you isn't just like, stop it all right now. Like, how dare you, you dirty sinner? Like there's a progression. Like God knows you're being tempted that way. And the progression of your sanctification isn't perfection. Like it will never be that way in this life. That isn't, that isn't a license to sin, but it should give us hope that God knows our struggle and he understands that we desperately need grace. And if you are daily, continually struggling with temptation or people or circumstances, you're, you're constantly upset with what's going on, uh, just continue to turn to the Lord and ask for grace. Humble yourself and he's going to continue to help you. So, uh, And as you do that, you're tested Genuine faith to God is more precious than gold. So anyway, any other closing thoughts? Are we good to, we're wrapped up. Okay, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.